Hey there, thanks for joining us for Markham's latest podcast series, Invisible Strength Next Level. In this series, we're exploring a wide range of construction industry topics and issues. Our guests are all experienced with hands-on real-world challenges. If you're involved in construction, infrastructure, or even asset maintenance, we reckon there'll be something here for you to take away. So, let's get into it. Well, good day, everybody. Thanks for listening in to Markham's latest podcast segment, our Invisible Strength series. And today we are very privileged to have with us Luke Campbell of WGA. Luke's a professional maritime and structural engineer, licensed nationally with over 18 years of experience in designing complex coastal and maritime projects for government and commercial industries. Luke is chair of the board for Pianc Australia and New Zealand. Pianc was established in 1885 as the World Association for Waterborne Transport Infrastructure. And indeed, it was at the recent Pianc event in Melbourne that we crossed paths. And I see we've got the uh, abstracts through today, which is interesting. We'll certainly be digging into that in some more detail. So, welcome aboard, Luke. Good to have you with us. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Brandon. Did you want to perhaps um, touch a little bit on about the work you're doing with Pianc as a, a bit of a an introduction and um, particularly in the space of new infrastructure? Yeah, look, um, PIANC's a fantastic organisation. I've been tangled up with PIANC in some capacity for the best part of 15 years. Uh, most recently on the board of PIANC here in Australia, New Zealand, and now the chair. Um, PIANC is historically well, was set up uh, actually as part of the formation of the Suez Canal. Um, they tried to gather the best and brightest people from all around the world. Um, in a, in a way that wasn't really done at the time, but just trying to say, well, what is the state of the art um, engineering knowledge in the world to facilitate such a project? And it was such a successful endeavor that they um, all agreed that it was something to continue. So it's been going ever since. And it was initially just like a Congress conference style thing, um, but now it's a very organized body operating largely out of Brussels, but with national sections all around the world. Uh, the Australia, New Zealand, um, chapter punched as well above its weight um, in all sorts of things, but uh, uh, it's one of the most active chapters uh, in the world and, and we've got people working on all sorts of interesting things, but primarily PIANC um, is known for its technical documents, they're called working group papers. They can be thought of as mini standards. They differ from standards and codes that we often use in that they're generally more readable, a lot more conversational, um, less technical in, 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 in that probably the assumed technical knowledge behind them is easier and they read more like a book. Um, so they're, yeah, they're certainly sought after in terms of when people are chasing answers to tricky problems, wherever they might be, and they cover things from durability and port operations um, and, and, and certainly overlap with plenty of things that feature in Australian standards and the like. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm particularly interested in the history of it, um, to be honest until we had been to a couple of the seminars, I hadn't known uh, too much about the organisation at all. So it's good to get that. And what sort of projects do you get involved in in Australia and New Zealand? It's uh, particularly the new side of the infrastructure or is it remediation work as well? Or? Well, look, it's all sorts. Uh, you know, it's, it's really answering the call of what the port industry needs. Um, it does stray into um, environmental and coastal engineering issues as well. So it's not just relating to 
support structures or support infrastructure, it's the, the whole suite. Uh, there's a real focus on working with nature, that is trying to find mutually beneficial outcomes where you can achieve good environmental outcomes and still good operational and functional outcomes, uh, particularly relevant when it comes to things like dredging projects and beneficial reuse of sediments. And yeah, there's, there's, it's, a, it's a broad church. Uh, the thing that yeah, the working groups committees are formed by industry. Uh, they're full of both design engineers and consultants. There's a lot of contractor input, there's supplier input. Uh, and I think, think that's really what sets it apart. It, it, and it, it, it's what means, it's what, it's what leads to these pragmatic outcomes where you get these useful documents that are hopefully only one or 200 pages, not a thousand, and where you can actually go in and, and the lay person can actually find some good and, um, and, and useful advice, not just actually get uh, bogged down in formulas and coefficients and empirically derived outcomes. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's a little bit, I suppose, deviating. We we're, we're going to talk about the uh, choices in design factors, um, forces for courses, I think we're basically calling this one. But do you get involved, before we sort of get into that, do you get involved in bringing people together, uh, working as a sort of a hub between contractors and people managing the assets and so forth? Yeah, look, and I guess I'll, I mean, I'm talking wearing my, my parent cat in the first instance. But I'll, I'll drag my other day job into play here, and you know, mostly I'm a design engineer, a consultant for WGA, working on uh, infrastructure projects, um, mostly ports and marine type stuff. It's certainly my flavour, uh, and so that's a daily occurrence. And yeah, the thing that the thing that makes me so passionate about Pianc is is you really get to take that um, experience and try and uh, translate into that something uh, something that that is accessible to suppliers, contractors, clients, end users alike, um, trying to bring those that, that learning experience together. So you know, if we come back onto the topic that you and I have been discussing over the last couple of weeks, it's, um, yeah, it's just trying to find better ways to deploy the right solutions in the right moments. You know, I think that uh, as an industry, we probably all deserve a pretty poor mark for how good a job we do about not confusing end users and people who get to actually make decisions and say yay or nay on to whatever proposed solution might be put forward by perhaps yourself as a supplier or ourselves as a designer or whatever it might be that a contract is proposing with a view to ease of install installation or whatever it might be. We, as an industry, I think we're generally quite terrible at it. We, we confuse people really quickly and easily. You know, most people are correct in what they're saying it's not, and, and there's certainly nothing there's any sense of malice involved, but it's just... You know, I think we've, we forget how overwhelming this can be for people who are trying to take these really quite complex um, durability challenges, corrosion environments, and then the technologies that are deployed into, in the solutions. It gets very technical very quickly. And, and I'll happily say that even as someone running a team of 100 odd engineers who, who are pretty clever people and, and, and fairly well versed in this stuff, uh, it's, it's difficult to actually get people up to a, um, a working level where they can cover the bandwidth with appropriate detail. It's a really challenging thing. So if we're trying to ask some asset owner who's got you know, 25 other extremely important things that they also have to cover, if we're trying to expect them to get to that same level and be able to have a meaningful conversation and be able to sort the wheat from the chaff, then we're, we're setting ourselves up to fail as an industry. That, that'd be the, you know, how I'd sort of launch ourselves into this subject. Yeah, that's fair enough. I guess one of the questions would be, you know, 
how do we get to this point? There's a bit of a history on the way things used to be run by perhaps a single entity or an overarching entity more, and now we have a good deal more players on the field. Is that, is that a fair way to look at it? I think it's that. It's a combination of many things, I'd say. I mean, certainly there's a general de-skilling or there's less generalists out there. You know, there's a lot more people who, who focus on, on what they need to do and, and they rely on either buying in help or or getting you know contractors to fill a gap or um or certainly relying on the technical technical expertise sitting with suppliers to give them uh, good good answers. But I think I guess the question becomes what do they do if they've got two people that they should supposedly trust um, because they know more about it than they do? What if they're telling them different things? What do they what do they do if they're telling them things where it's hard to tell how they can both be right? Now in my experience, most often both people are right. You know, and the and the and the reason why it's confusing and why it sounds like they're saying something contradictory is because well they're talking about slightly different things. You know, they're, they're talking about slightly you know, they're they're using general descriptions of how things generally perform and trying to right size them for a situation where they might not be fully informed as yet. So it's very easy for something to go from being the right answer to the wrong answer just because of a few subtle details. And you know, if we take something like a concrete repair or a concrete durability issue. You know, is it best to solve it with the mix design or not? Is it best to solve it from day one or not? Wait 10 years before you do something and intervene. Um, you know, the complex array of, of, of variables here, including you know, the design life, the certainty of what the future use might be, whether it's actually, you know, whether there's good quality control because you've got very good ready-mix supplies around you or, or whether you're very remote and you might be, either using pretty crude facilities or having to batch your own stuff. So, you know, the number of variables very quickly outweigh the, those that can be easily factored into a nice table where someone gets to run their finger down a list of potential solutions and pick the, pick a winner. So, again, I think the challenge and the, the thing that we need to get better at and the, the thing that, again, there's some great organisations like the Concrete Institute and, and, and PANC and, and certainly plenty of others, the Corrosion Association is very good these are fantastic groups where they they do try and bring certainly suppliers and contractors and technologists and scientists and engineers and designers and hopefully asset owners. They, they try and bring all these people together and at least get them talking in a room about common issues and hopefully seeing eye to eye on, on more things than they disagree on. But I think you know just creating the conversations in, in, a, in a realm that isn't contractual or commercial can only lead to good outcomes. It's remarkable you say that actually because one of our earlier episodes had a, a waterproofing consultant in the construction industry and pretty much said exactly the same thing the need to get people together early in the development stage of a project as a way of avoiding major issues down the track. Mm -hmm. Is that something you want to convey to contractors perhaps like ourselves? We mentioned the con concrete industry, that's the direction we've come from of course. I think so. I mean, it's. You know, I think we have to be far more willing to look at. We, we all work in competitive industries where you know we're, we're. I mean, hopefully you don't have to poo-poo the opposition, but you have to hopefully have to at least try and demonstrate that you're a better value for money proposition to try and win work. You know, we, we're all tasked with that challenge to try and have successful businesses. Um, so that's that. That can't be avoided. But I think we have to be really quite willing to accommodate um, the alternatives. 
uh, you know, there's, there's trivial examples that you might use, um, such as say, um, you know, concrete admixtures. You look at some of the fantastic things that crystal growth technologies can do um, in terms of waterproofing or general durability for various concrete structures. But, but then there's things they don't do very well or they can't do. Things like dealing with live cracks or dynamic cracks or thermal effects, you know, they're not the right solution. But you know, if, if someone's marketing their product and, and don't haven't been able to give enough description or understanding the project that that could be in play, what can you expect them to do other than market their product to that solution? And, 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 and they may be wrong for reasons that aren't their own. So look, I think just going with an open mind being, you know, I think we all gain respect in industry when we actually suggest that there might be an alternative that's better than what we're proposing at the time. And, and maybe in this instance, it, they, they should be going down that path and, and not our own. You'd like to think that there's always a, a chance for that sort of humility and, and just general good advice to come into play. Uh, and I think the thing that we all need to make sure is that we take our sales hats off and, and make sure that we let the, the technical specialists advance their cause, that they exist within every business. Um, and equally, you can't have any business without people with more of a sales marketing focus as well. So I guess I'm just talking about the the Goldilocks scenario, finding the right balance where you where, where, the, where the blend looks good and you get the right mix of marketing guff with technical support and backup. Yeah, that's good. So, would you say the need for the, the representative at the coalface to understand the need? A, a two way street, would that be a fair way to put it? It's, look, at, look, it is. And I think, I think the, the call to arms I'd, I'd, I'd put here is that uh, you know, if you look at conferences and um, and professional organisations, be it PANC, ACA, or Croatia Institute, or otherwise, uh, they're generally quite well supported by designers and consultants who, I guess, are hungry for the knowledge and, and probably hungry for the networking as well. Um, suppliers are pretty good. You do get a pretty good contingent. People support these conference series with their their booths in the in the you know the space sections and, and the like, and, and they're pretty good at sort of mingling. I'm I'm often surprised about how few contractors we see, and I'm guessing that you know, that they're, they're often the work demands for, for their people are such that someone is really untouchable for a few months because they've got this um, thing that all revolves around them on some site or something like that. But I do think there's a huge benefit to getting contractors in the mix and they do support it. I just, I just like to see more. But I think in particular, um, getting more of the sort of asset owners, asset managers, the, the, the end users, the people that actually uh, ultimately perhaps make some of the decisions about whether they choose option A or option B or whether it's they have to try and um, sort out whether it's worth spending more money to get this outcome and whether that is going to pay a dividend over the whole of life. Now, they're the ones who I'd like to encourage to get more involved in some of these forums because um, that rounds things off nicely. Yeah, that's a good point. I can understand, particularly, I suppose, given the size of, or depending on the size of the contractor, whether they could dedicate people to go along. But the, uh, the long-term benefit of understanding the needs of what they're dealing with would be a, a major factor, wouldn't it? I think it is. And I think it's, um, on that note, I'm, I'm, all of these groups I'm giving examples of have got um, local state-based representations. They're not just natural, national things we have to get on an aeroplane and fly to something. They're very accessible. And it's just of vital importance that you get a nice cross-section in size and scale. So the, 
people representing businesses that have got three or five or ten people are just as important as those representing hundreds or thousands because you know if you look at the suite of projects that we're all answering to and we're all trying to satisfy it's absolutely no use to anyone if we if we're only pushing things that are warranted when you've got the real big end of town with access to whatever plant and equipment's required and um yeah and budgets to suit we have to make sure that we can right size all these solutions to suit whatever application it might be yeah that's a very good point mm. it's a matter of uh, having a, a broad outlook i think you you might have used the expression when i was talking to you before the chat about blinkered is that something yeah, to talk about as, as far as working with others i think so and i think you know particularly anything that <laughs> starts with engineers and scientists and those associated technical fields yeah, everyone becomes a boffin of, to some extent, you know, passionate about the thing they're in and probably can't understand why people avoid them at dinner parties or barbecues when they start going on about the thing they think is of great interest. But, uh, you know, we're, we're all guilty of it to a certain extent where we think, how can anyone think this is anything but fascinating? And the reality is for a lot of people, it's not. So, yeah, I think you can get blinkered in your approach and think that, you know, the only thing that matters is is, is what you're talking about, whereas... Yeah, the, having these broader conversations via these technical technical platforms and technical working group things that, that exist in various various forms, it just leads to better outcomes. And, it, and I mean, it, it might lead to nothing other than you picking up the phone and, and calling that person that you met who's got that very different background and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing either this or this. What what do you think? And in my experience, that phone conversation costs you nothing. And, and what it probably does cost you is someone are doing the exact same to you in a few months and reciprocating and, and they're they're pretty sure they know what they want to do but they're just not quite certain about something they think you might know more about than them and so you know those those things are gold they allowed you to advance at a, at a, at a moment where you otherwise might get bogged or you might proceed without the level of certainty you need and, and you might build those i mean you can build those relationships via projects as well but you can certainly expand that network much faster via these professional organizations that's excellent excellent advice I love the uh, suggestion about uh, reciprocating. I'd like to see more of it. Perhaps sometimes to, for, for us as contractors to pocket our pride and ask for help or ask for what we're missing perhaps in the picture. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe you're missing nothing. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you you spend a few times and someone agrees with you. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, that's the bad version of that conversation. Yeah, no, fair enough. That's fair enough. I didn't want to digress too much on you, but I did notice you had been involved in a remote project a bit earlier in your career. I wondered if you wanted to talk about, or were able to talk about that at all for us. I like the elements of the challenges and the site and bringing things together. I'm not sure which project you're referring to. That could be, that's probably most of my projects I was involved with as an early person. I've generally been out in the boondocks doing something. But, um, I think it was on the WGA site, but if, you, if you've got a more recent example where you could talk about the not, practical elements, we'd love to hear about it. Oh, look, I think they're, they're, they're all the projects that I've enjoyed the most. I mean, it might be the Wyndham Jetty where we were doing something up without access to ready you know, no access to ready mixed concrete or anything. And you, you, know, you get pretty inventive trying to find a way forward in those instances. We've done things in all sorts of remote pockets of um, uh, Australia and nearby. But, you know, that's, I think that's what excites me about our industry full stop, particularly the sort of Ports and Marine Maritime world is that, you know, when you're doing something within a CBD area or greater metro Perth, wherever it might be, you've got lots of things available to you. You can sort of really have any 
concrete bricks you like or expect to have access to any crane you want or whatever it might be. But some of these other areas, you know, the cost of mobilising that crane might be a couple of million dollars by the time you're done with it or the, the challenge of getting that concrete mix might be setting up a, a batch plant at the cost of many hundreds of thousands and the project can't support it. So, yeah, you know, that's where working closely with contractors and understanding what local markets can, can achieve versus what you might bring in on a truck you know, those things become far more important as, as, as things that govern your criteria on your project than, than what your um, codes and standards spit out from analysis. You know, you've really got to do that, that second after you've made some far more important decisions about how you might tackle the real problems. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. We've seen one or two cases like that, but normally speaking, we're in the zone of being fairly convenient. But yeah, I, I do like the, the thought of bringing things together almost from scratch, as it were. No, look, and I mean, I was just doing, just before I walked in here then, was doing some concept design for a project, which is, you know, not super remote. It's got access to certainly batch plants where they build plenty of house footings and, you know, low-grade sort of commercial and industrial slabs and things like that. But well, we might be at most able to get like an N32 concrete. And so someone had made a decision fairly early on that, that therefore for the marine project we're looking at, we probably have to make sure we don't use any local concrete. And I said, well, no, that's really not true at all. I mean, if we can get an N32, we can add a few bells and whistles to that and take that to at least uh, something that's got, uh, is getting pretty close to something we could live with. And once you start, when you're done with admixtures and different types of reinforcement and building in provision for future cathodic protection and, and other things, so I said that we can, there's, there's really nothing stopping us from getting a good outcome here. You know, we, do, we don't need to enforce some, fancy S50 mix to be able to deploy in situ concrete. We can we can absolutely pull enough levers to get over the line. And I think you know, I mean, the, the person who made the decision that 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 it wasn't appropriate, they're a clever person. They've made a, that decision based on their prior experience where they've been trying to get good concrete. But, um, you know, a, a simple matter of have we asked all the right questions to see if we can really get that done or not. And in this instance, I think the answer is that we can get there. That's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Well, that's good, Luke. I don't want to keep you unduly. Did you have any other closing thoughts on the on the topic before we wrap it up? No, look, I just um, case in point, you know, this conversation stemmed from us, you know, having a chin wag at a conference between uh, things sessions or over a lunch or lunch break, whatever it might have been. And and yeah, you strap all that times. Um, 20 or 100 would reflect the other conversations that I, you know, that were generated just for myself alone at that one conference. Um, conferences are one thing, but you know, here in Perth with, the, with our PAC local chapter, we probably catch up five or six times and get 50 or 60 people along. The Corrosion Association and the Concrete Institute would be you know, similar frequency. So there is no shortage of opportunities to get out there and get amongst it. I'd, I'd almost ignore what the topics are they're going to discuss because that's really only part of the story there. The other part of it is just uh, the conversations that are gener generated afterwards and, and the, the continual building of networks. So for those who aren't actively involved in those sorts of things, I just encourage them to, to get out and even if it's just a few times a year, try and um, get amongst it because not only will you get something from it, I'm sure you'll add to the broader um, tapestry of, of, of conversations that otherwise going to happen there. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brendan. Anybody wants to get in touch with you, just via LinkedIn or what's your, your best uh, avenue? Yeah, I'm easily found. LinkedIn, I, you'll find uh, things by the WGA website. Fair enough. Well, thank you heaps for that. Really appreciate it and appreciate your time. No worries, Brendan.